Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. See new things. Try new things. Go back centuries while living in the moment. Forge new paths while discovering old ones. Pedal, paddle, and paint while trekking, tasting, and tailoring experiences that transform you into a better version of yourself. Immerse yourself in the world by activating your mind, your heart, and your body on a river cruise exclusively from Avalon Waterways. Save with limited time offers at avalonwaterways.com. Avalon is cruising. Elevated. Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for up to half the cost. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up! And call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Savings based on cost of Consumer Cellular single line 1, 5, and 10 gig data plans with unlimited talk and text compared to lowest cost single line postpaid unlimited talk text and data plans offered by T-Mobile and Verizon January 2024. Today is Thursday, April 16th, 2020. Coming up on Roland Martin Unfiltered, the latest with the coronavirus pandemic. Donald Trump actually says, states, hey, you can now open up after May 1st. They already knew that. They can make their own decisions. We'll also be joined by former U.S. Surgeon General Dr. Regina Benjamin, who says that how we think about the coronavirus should be how we deal with hurricanes. You don't want to miss my interview with her. After an anonymous tip, 17 bodies found in a New Jersey nursing home. Stunning and shocking. What the hell was Dr. Oz thinking when he was on Sean Hannity? And he talked about the reopening of schools and the 2 to 3% rate of deaths we can live with. And then Laura Ingram on Fox News show says, hey, there are people who have no problem getting the virus. Who? Remember the SBA program we told you about? $350 billion to help small businesses? Well, guess what? They're out of money and the banks are stopping the acceptance of applications. That makes no sense. But also, 
What's up with these major restaurant chains like Potbelly and Ruth Chris Steakhouse getting $10 million loans? They're not small businesses. We'll talk with John Hope Bryant, founder of Operation Hope. Senator Kamala Harris has introduced the Safe Vote Act, which could make it safe for people to vote during the coronavirus pandemic. We'll break it down. Plus, hmm, Lieutenant Justin Fairfax tweets out the name of a person who he says was present when he was involved in a sexual encounter with a woman who accused him of rape. But she's never mentioned that there was somebody else there. Wait until we break that thing down for you. It's time to bring the funk. I'm Roland Martin Unfiltered. Let's go. Right now, the White House is holding their daily news conference dealing with the coronavirus. Donald Trump is at the microphone. And as we tell you every day, we do not take him live because he lies far too much. We are not going to feed you fake information and lies. And so we will see what he says and then vet that after the fact. If any of the real experts like Dr. Fauci or Dr. Burks step to the microphone, then we will play that for you. Folks, as of today, there are 657,000 720 confirmed cases of coronavirus in the United States. 33,460 people have died from coronavirus. 53,322 are recovering. Now, that number dramatically increased in New York because of how they counted the folks uh, who died. Now, New York State Governor Andrew Cuomo said that while there were 2,000 people diagnosed with the virus, the state also recorded the lowest amounts of deaths. He found hope in knowing that they can somewhat control the spread of the virus. The number of new people who are diagnosed with COVID, about 2,000 still yesterday. So when you see the reduction in rates, remember what we're talking about. We're talking about a reduction in increases you still have 2,000 people every day about who are walking into a hospital for the first time or who are being diagnosed with COVID for the first time. Uh, and 2,000 is still a lot of people. But the good news is it means we can control the virus, right? We can control the spread. And we did not know for sure that we could do that. We speculated that we could do it, but we didn't know. So now we know that we can control this disease. The bad news is 2,000 people walked into a hospital yesterday for the first time with the disease. And the worst news is 600 people died yesterday from the disease. That is still continuing at a really tragic, tragic rate. 
Of those deaths, 577 in hospitals, 29 in nursing homes. We've been watching the nursing homes because nursing homes in many ways are ground zero for this situation. Uh, last night, the number in nursing homes was relatively low. Now, folks, so many different things are happening when it comes to uh, this coronavirus. Uh, how clueless is the Trump administration? Well, Donald Trump wrote, talk, had a meeting today with the governors where he talked about giving them guidelines for reopening the country on May 1st. Then he creates this group, this working group, of 36 members of Congress who are going to be on this committee. How do you create a committee of 36 people and not a single black member of Congress on the committee? No, no seriously, per Politico, the White House reached out to 36 members, 36 members of Congress. There's not a single African-American in the group. Who's most impacted by this coronavirus? Black people. Joining me now, Dr. Greg Carr. He's the chair of the Department of Afro-American Studies at Howard University. Reese Colbert, Black Women's Views, and Brooke Thomas. She's the host of Controlling Our Narrative podcast. Glad to have all three of you on. I will uh, start with you, Reese. Um, just saying, 36 members of Congress, which represents uh, a little less than 10% of all the members and ain't nobody black, not even, not even Republican Tim Scott. Well, you know, Tim Scott says that he's going to be on the council, but it's obvious that he is an afterthought if he is in fact going to be on the council. But Tim Scott is the same person that said that the $600 extra a week that's included for unemployment on the federal level is gonna incentivize people to stop working. And so he was opposed to that. So even, you know, I don't wanna say all skin folk and kin folk, but if the shoe fits, hey, we need real representation. We need an actual seat at the table. Regardless of how people feel about the Trump administration, the people who are a part of this task force are going to have some sort of influence on the policies. There, we have the largest congressional black caucus ever. So they had, you know, uh, Congresswoman Maxine Waters is the chair of House Financial Services Committee. She's laid out an extensive economic plan for how to reopen the economy. That's a person that you would think he'd want to tap into and use as an ally. You also have on the Senate side, on the Senate side, you have Senator Cory Booker and Senator Kamala Harris, who has put out plan after plan, bill after bill that addresses a wide variety of things. So why not tap into those people? It seems to me that, you know, with the with, with the, the, the disparate treatment that we're seeing and the outcomes we're seeing in black communities, it's going to continue because our interests are not going to be represented at the table. Greg. Yeah, no, I agree with Reese. I mean, you know, this is, um, I respect Donald Trump and his clavering. They are pulling out all the stops. They've dropped all pretenses. Um, on a day when we can uh, look and Newsweek just reported that the governor of North Dakota is saying that, you know, they're going to try to reopen May 1st. And in South Dakota, neighboring South Dakota, the uh, Smithfield Port Factory in Sioux Falls is now outpacing Cook County uh, Jail in, in Illinois as uh, the biggest coronavirus hotspot. What do we see? We see that, uh, although, at the, at, in all fairness, the Smithville Port Factory in Sioux Falls, a lot of people who work there are immigrants, are non-white. Um, but what we're basically seeing is white nationalism, as my friend and ancestor now, former colleague Ryan Walters, used to call it. Um, they're, they're circling the wagons. 
in a moment, you know, when you see them trying to engage in voter suppression by doing everything from shortening the time that people can mail in votes to, to basically uh, cratering the, the United States Postal Service, they realize they will never win another federal election. And so why keep up the pretense, whether it be the daily pep rally press conference slash uh, campaign uh, stops that Trump is doing from the White House? or whether it be this instance of putting it together a committee with people who shouldn't be anywhere near it and then reaching out to Congress for your allies and ignoring everyone else, they're sending a clear message. The idea that this is a nation, always a fantasy, has now been dropped, and they are willing to sacrifice everybody. The only other thing I would say is that uh, Donald Trump has realized, he doesn't realize this perhaps, and his supporters don't realize this, but everybody also means poor white people. Because as this disease, as this virus uh, reaches those red states, the so-called flyover country, when you see death in those states, it won't be reported with the same type of ferocity and the same type of media attention that you're getting in New York or Los Angeles or Atlanta or New Orleans. And if that death, when that death reaches that level of crisis in those states, I wonder how those voters who are wearing those red MAGA hats will respond to this man who is clearly using them as a human shield to advance his political interests. But, Brooke, here's the whole piece. I don't think they care about that. Do y'all have that sound bite from Laura Ingram last night on her show? If y'all have that sound bite, I want to play it right now. This is literally what she said last night in terms of, well, people don't mind getting coronavirus. I mean, it's, it's, it's crazy. Then, and then you have Dr. Oz, who makes his comment. Uh, and so I play either one of those where he's like, well, you know, we could reopen the schools and bring them back in as well. So let me know. Play either one of those if y'all have it ready. All right. So, so uh, let me just go ahead and pull it up uh, myself because this, to me, is crazy. All these people are pining, Brooke, for business to, to open back up. And, and I get it. I mean, look, I, look, we, we are impacted by what's happening economically. But, but this is Dr. Oz last night. Dr. Oz, help us. Well, first, we need our mojo back. Let's start with things that are really critical to the nation where we think we might be able to open without getting into a lot of trouble. I tell you, schools are a very appetizing opportunity. Uh, I just saw a nice piece in The Lancet arguing that the opening of schools may only cost us 2 to 3 percent in terms of total mortality. And, you know, that's any life is a life loss. But to get every child back into a school where they're safely being educated, being fed uh, and making the most out of their lives with a theoretical risk on the backside, uh, it might be a trade-off some folks would consider. We need to get industry back, supply lines. I mean, things that we can do without putting the nation at risk. Dr. Oz, help so us. You just heard him talk about uh, <laughs> this idea of two to three percent. Now, first of all, is he saying two to three percent of children? There are 57 million children who go to public schools. That's 1.2 to 1.6 million kids dying. Really, bro? It's, it's absurd. How do you say any life lost is a life lost? But how do you have a but to that? We're talking about lives. It's like I, I think about it in a way of like the idea of choosing not to wear your seatbelt because only some people die when they go through the windshield. 
even though we have a process in place, it's not the best right now. And no, it's not great for the economy, but we have a process. We have mitigation tactics in place right now that if people follow them, they will save lives. And that's all we have right now. We don't even have testing capabilities. What's been so frustrating to me about all of this, not even watching people who have such privileged lives talk about how it's not a big deal that people are going to die, that thousands and thousands of people, tens of thousands of people, hundreds of thousands of people, potentially millions of people could possibly die, that it's not a big deal because of the economy, blah, blah, blah. What's so frustrating is that this was a layup for Donald Trump. He could have simply taken any of the professional information that he was getting from doctors, from scientists, from experts months ago. He could have push these mitigation tactics into place, and now he would be sitting back saying, I told you so. Look at all of these other countries. I told you so. See, I am a good president. And everybody who hates everything about that comes out of his mouth would have had to been like, yeah, he's right about this one. And he didn't do that. And, and so now he's playing catch up, just trying to save face and not at all. It doesn't seem to be worried about saving lives. And that's so frustrating. We are not at a place right now where we should be talking about forcing people at risk, people back to work, back to schools. We're not at that point right now. And it, it, I just, it's so frustrating that everybody involved is not pointing out how ridiculous that is when anybody brings it up. Uh, and, and, and what we're all sort of dealing with now, what we're now dealing with uh, are folks who are, are, are very good at lying including his mm -hmm. new press secretary, uh, Kaylee uh, McEnany. Of course, you used to see her on CNN uh, and this whole nonsense. Um, it, she sent this tweet out here. As a result, the United States has now conducted more than 3.3 million tests, far more than any other country in the world. Okay, actually, if you look at per capita, South Korea has tested more. That's 3.3 million. Folks, that's literally 1% of America. Any scientist will tell you, any doctor will tell you, you cannot get enough data to understand the impact of this virus with only 1% of testing. And these folks are saying, let's just go back and again, back to group settings, putting people in environments at work. And you'll hear later in my interview with, with Dr. Regina Benjamin, they're still trying to figure this damn virus out. Right. This is, yeah. uh, it, it, it's stunning to listen to these people as if, hey, it's gonna be all good. Because here's the other thing. What now happens, Greg, if you get sick? What the hell? Who's paying those hospital costs? Well, Roland, I think it's difficult for all of us because we've been raised in a society to think of the United States as a single entity. It's not true, not culturally, not socially. They're using what they have, which is the so-called bully pulpit, the propaganda element. So when you say accurately that 1% of the population of the country has been tested, uh, we're thinking of the country as one place. But we've seen this week with the governors on the West Coast and the governors on the East Coast, they are in control. Someone has uh, reminded or taught this fool in the next in the last several days that he has no control. So he can put a talking head out there to say what you want, 
But at the same time, New York, Pennsylvania, California, Washington State will determine how best to approach the execution of what is a simple fact. People must be tested. Now, he doesn't control that. In Louisiana, there is a governor who will do that, regardless of whether this corn-pwned senator, who some claim had some kind of education at Oxford, John Kennedy, is running around saying, well, I've got to open, got to open, the, uh, got to open the economy. Okay, that's just talk. I guess what I'm saying finally, Roland, is that this type of campaign against public awareness will only be as effective as state and local leadership allows it to be, which means now, and you've been covering this, at the local level, when people go in the communities and say we have to be tested, we're going to have to meet them where people are, the, 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 uh, the garbage workers, the people working in the grocery stores, and when you come and say you must be tested, you've got to now also help them overcome suspicion of government from Tuskegee and Henrietta Latz and others, and those are local conversations. Ain't nobody listening to that white girl. It, it, it is, it is. And not only that, so, Reese, you take this, take this out. Um, in New Jersey, they got anonymous tip. The police in Andover, New Jersey, uh, went to a nursing home, saw a body being stored in a shed outside one of the state's largest nursing homes. When the cops showed up, they removed seven, they discovered 17 additional bodies piled inside the nursing home's small morgue intended to only hold no more than four people. 17 people they discovered. 68 deaths total linked to this uh, long-term care facility. And then a number of people also sick. Here's the deal. Other people who died, including two nurses, uh, all tested positive. Cause of death is unknown. Of the patients who remain at the homes, which is housing two buildings, 76 have tested positive for the mm. virus, including 41 staff members, including mm. an administrator. Let's go to Florida, where Governor Ron DeSantis, he wants to give nursing homes immunity from being sued. It, it, it's stunning, yeah. Reese, uh, what is happening here. They are treating, like, oh, don't worry about it. Don't worry, we'll cover you from being sued. Don't worry about these deaths. You know, it's absolutely stunning, the neglect, the cruelty, the apathy that this administration has towards people in nursing homes. Frankly, the Republican base is quite old. I don't, and I don't mean that in a pejorative way. Yeah. They, they have an older demographic. What message are they sending their demographic? And for no other reason, for electoral survivability, they want to keep, they want to get a lid on this. And the fact that they don't even give a shit about these folks should be a red fire alarm for everybody else. It's absolutely disgusting. It goes to the fact that we don't have a handle on the amount of carnage that is being caused by this virus. It also goes to the point that Republicans have said it's okay if people in nursing homes die. It's okay if we bring the kids back to school and they die. But I can tell you, every single person that I've seen in the news, once they have been personally impacted by it, they change their tune. Right. The the when you have the pastors, for instance, that said, I'm gonna, you know, hold church or whatever else, or this is a hoax, and they die, their family says, 
take this shit seriously. And so it's not until it hits post home, hits close to home for for some of these folks that it's going to really, really drive home the point that this is a public global, you know, with with Donald Trump attacking the the, the World Health Organization, with him attacking the blue states versus the red states. This is a global and national public health crisis where we have to be united. We have to actually address the problem. Donald Trump cannot bluster and bullshit his way out of this coronavirus pandemic. We need a competent and empathetic and and long-term and immediate action on this. Testing, PPE, all of these things. And the fact that they keep lying about it is really scary because that means that they're not taking action on it. And that's what we need right now. We need action, not bullet points and not bluster. Uh, here, here is um, Laura Ingram last night talking about this. I'm trying to figure out, Brooke, why in the hell is she smiling? Watch this. Okay. Life is filled with risks, in other words. We should all be careful and we should all be responsible, but the government cannot, nor it really should try, to eliminate all risks associated with COVID-19 any more than it could with the H1N1 or the swine flu. When we step out of the door, when we walk onto the streets, we enter a building, we get into a car, get on a bike, there are always relative risks. But the damage to millions and millions of lives, including children's lives, and our basic freedoms during the shutdown, that's also very real. And for many, it has been absolutely devastating. Many are willing to take the risk of contracting the virus. We've seen that in the polling, frankly, what they rate as more worrisome to them. And they would risk this in order to preserve their way of life. Oh, okay. Life so, is filled with risks. Okay, I'm trying to understand. Kill the audio, guys. So I'm trying to understand, Brooke. They're willing to risk that to preserve their way of life. Yeah, until they get sick. Until all of a sudden, they begin to realize that, oh, I didn't even realize. So I might have it, and I don't know it, and I might infect you, but then you have a pre-existing condition, now all of a sudden you're worse off, and I can also spread it and have no idea, and that's really what the problem is. I mean, look, here's the whole deal. When somebody has the flu, we know they have the flu. When somebody has the flu, they are sniffling, coughing, wheezing, you can see, throw, you can see it in their eyes, they're fatigued. There are people with coronavirus who are asymptomatic. You do not. I have never met Brooke, somebody with the flu, who said, I didn't know I had that damn thing. <laughs> right, I, right. I couldn't feel nothing. No. You know when you have the flu. And, and that's, that's what the issue here, and I think, and I'm telling you right now, all these people can say whatever they want to say. I'm going to tell you right now. Millions of Americans gonna be like, y'all go ahead on out there. Go, go on. Y'all go ahead. Go on, kill yourself. I'm gonna keep my ass right here while y'all go kill yourself. Brooke, go ahead. Yeah, absolutely. And you know what else is different about this is that when people have a mild case of the flu, and I obviously think everyone should get flu shots. Everyone should do what they can to protect themselves from the flu during flu season because the worst case scenario about the flu is death. And, and nobody wants that. That's the worst case scenario. But a mild case of the flu feels like a bad cold, right? A couple body aches, you're sniffling. That's a mild case of flu. I've had a bad flu, not the worst flu. But there are mild cases of this where people are talking about lying in their beds for 10 days feeling like they can't breathe. 
this is this is terrifying. This is not something that people should be taking lightly. And I would rather be poor than dead. I would rather be poor than my mother be dead. I would rather be poor than my sisters or my brother be dead. I can't. This is not a choice. This is a simple choice to me. Also, her argument that the government should not be protecting people from risk of a deadly virus, that is absurd. The government should absolutely be protecting the people that they are there to represent. This is simple. The government should not be bailing out big corporations that should be able to handle their bills and, and then just forcing people who can't pay their rent back into dangerous positions. And think about all of like, the essential workers right now who have never been paid enough. It is the responsibility of everyone who has the privilege to practice these mitigation tactics to protect them. So I, it's just, this is so frustrating for me. But she is spinning 30,000 deaths as right. some sort of a, a win. And, and now uh, now they're also trying to spin this whole deal. Uh, Trump, at this little news conference, saying nationwide, more than 850 counties, or nearly 30%, have reported no new cases in the last seven days. I don't yeah. trust their numbers at all. But well, I mean, here's the flip the side. Thing, though, 70% are. Go ahead, Greg. Go ahead, real quick. I'm going to say very quickly, echoing what Brooke is saying, the nation, the state should be taking care of its citizens. But they're breaking it down by county because many of those counties got a handful of people in them in those red states. And as you said, you know who's listening to Laura Ingram? Those people in Nebraska, North and South Dakota, in yeah. those rural areas, and they're going to get sick. Now, mm -hmm. they can listen. While we're looking at why is she smiling? She's smiling because she knows anything she is that they're going to listen to. And they're going to listen to her to their sickness and their death. Meanwhile, the rest of us, to your point, hey, stay yourself in place. It's going to be a very different country by the time we come out of this. Brother. Absolutely, folks. A little bit earlier today, I had a chance to talk to former Surgeon General Dr. Regina Benjamin about... Uh, coronavirus, about what should be happening. Uh, we want to thank the people at YouTube uh, for uh, facilitating this. Here's my conversation with her. Dr. Benjamin, glad to have you in Roland Martin Unfiltered. Thanks for having me, Roland. Uh, let's get Good right to talk to you again. Indeed. Let's to get right to it. Uh, the news of the day, uh, Donald Trump is given, told the governors that, that uh, it's up to them uh, how they reopen their state. Duh, they already had those powers. Uh, but uh, they're targeting May 1st. Uh, as someone uh, who served as Surgeon General, you, you are a doctor, you are, you've got your clinic there in, in Alabama. Um, is it wise for people to, to, to try to rush to reopen uh, businesses and, re and try to go back to business as usual when we still don't really have a firm grip on coronavirus in the United States. Well, Roland, I kind of look at this whole thing. I've, I have this analogy of hurricanes because I went through Hurricane Katrina. And people understand hurricanes. You know, you you follow the track. We This hurricane got into the Gulf of Mexico. It was category four, now it's category five. It was starting to hit land. I think it's it's made landfall, and it's starting to move by. And and everybody knows that when you have a hurricane, the hurricane has an eye, and you don't go out in the storm in the eye of the storm. You may have good weather. You may even have sunshine, but you know you're in the eye of the storm, and the next phase is going to come through. So we wait until the storm passes by. Once the storm is over, you go out and you assess the damage. This virus, we have to assess the damage to see how much damage was done once that storm is over. But are we and the way we do that, it, yeah, yeah, but the way we do that is we do that 
by seeing how much immunity is in the community, how many people have had it and how much natural immunity. We need tests to do that. So we need to be testing and we need to be building those tests, which we're trying to come up with so that we can see and have some something to base it on to know whether or not we're safe to go out or not. Well, and, and, and that to me, I, I keep going back to it, is still the craziest thing here. Uh, you have, he's touting, oh, we've done more tests in any other country. But if you look at it per capita, we have not. Uh, the fact that uh, we represent 30% of all uh, coronavirus cases in the world, and we still are, we're still having hotspots in South Dakota. You have the governor there who doesn't want to issue a shelter in place, uh, but they're seeing more and more cases every single day. We're seeing how coronavirus is running, rampaging through nursing homes uh, across this country. And when you keep asking the question, even Dr. Anthony Fauci uh, makes the point that. We, we have not reached critical mass when it comes to testing. Roland, we can sit and we can argue the points about what should be done, shouldn't have been done, but I would like to try to save lives. And the way we save lives is that we need to take care of ourselves. What can we in our communities do to take care of ourselves? We have to start to do things. We're seeing that um, the number of, of cases, we've been talking about health disparities for the last um, 20 years. And so it's it's been known. What we didn't know was that people with these underlying conditions were going to get sicker, they're going to get sicker faster, and they were going to die more. And so we need to concentrate on what can we do to to be resilient, what can do we do right now to take care of our families and each other? Well, and, and what, what is bothering me the most, again, look, I totally understand when we talk about the economic impact of coronavirus. Uh, forget the stock market. I'm just talking about out there, just everyday people, Best Buy laying off 51, furloughing 51,000 people, um, numerous companies, small businesses, mid-sized, large. When you talk so, about- So, Roland, if, if, if you think about that, and those are very tough things, and these are tough times, and what I hope that we can learn from all of this as a society as we come out on the other end of this is that it is tough, economic tough. It's hard when you don't know where your next paycheck is coming from. It's very difficult when you don't know how you're gonna put food on the table. And if you do have a job and your kids are not in school now, what are you gonna do for daycare? Those are very real things that we're dealing with. But you know what? Poor people have been dealing with this all along. Right. And I hope that people will have more empathy and understand what these single moms are going through every day and the challenges they have, the stresses they have in their lives. And we'll stop blaming the victims and we will start putting in more public policies and things to, on the other end that will be a, much better for our society than, than what we've done in the past. Well, the point that I've also been stating that death is real. Uh, I mean, uh, there's a video, uh, Dr. Oz was on Fox News and, and he was talking about uh, the potential possibility of, you know, reopening schools, and he makes this comment about, you know, a 2 to 3% mortality rate. And then you hear people say, well, we lose X number of people when it comes to the flu, so, you know, we haven't lost th that many people here. We're still talking about death. The other thing is that the problem... Well, it depends on whether it's your death or my death is right. how right. important it is. But, yes, it is real. <laughs> right. I mean, like, I, I literally was just watching this I, 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 this clip in of uh, of Laura Ingram saying, you know, some people are fine with catching the virus. And, and I'm sitting here going, 
Uh, and I literally tweeted back. I said, well, uh, you let me know the people at Fox News and Fox Business are cool with catching the virus. And the thing is that we still don't even know how this thing is moving and acting and responding. And so I mean, we, I've had numerous scientists and medical professionals on here and, it's and, just like it's just like a hurricane. We don't know what it's going to do. We don't know how it's right. going to change. We have to be prepared for whichever way it changes. It's new. And you're right. We don't know how they're going to change. And we have to change with it. And the more information, the more data we get, the more we can put in. And our predictions can be much better. It's just like that hurricane tracker. When they go and fly into that storm, they get better da data. And we know better once we get that. We're collecting data, we're constantly changing it, and as we get more information, we can make our plans and adjustments more reliably than just guessing. Well, to that point right there, when you talk about uh, the data piece, and I think that's critically important, uh, you have the people now who are critical, oh, the initial model said we were going to lose 100,000 or 240,000 people. Well, first of all, the initial model was also based upon if we didn't do mitigation. And so... The and also those models is just like a hurricane model. The initial model when it's way out there in, in the Atlantic somewhere is totally different when it gets into to the Gulf and you've got more data to make your model on. It's much more precise. Yeah, also, so it look, changes. I'm, look, I'm from Houston, and so I can tell you, okay, the hurricane is projected to veer towards New Orleans, and then all of a sudden, oh, it's coming to Houston. That's right. Because you got more information now. And, and what you did, what you based it on two weeks before was not the same. So that's what we're, we're constantly going through these changes. The other thing is we, as I said, we, we don't go outside in the eye of the storm. We know the weather is good. We know it may even be sunshine, but you don't go out during the eye of a storm. You wait until it passes by. Yeah, and because, once it passes because actually by, the eye yeah. ain't the problem. The tail is the problem. It's worse. That's that's the, and I and I think using that comparison, I think when we were, when we were talking about what's happening right here uh, with coronavirus, if there is this rush to reopen now, all of a sudden, so just a perfect example. So uh, where I do my show here, we we do it at the, with the office of Fifty Can Education Reform Group, and um, I sit on the board of directors, and so we're still here. Okay, I've got two people. Who work, who work in this office, but they're actually they're, they're, they're working separately. Then I'll have, when we do the show, max five in the control room. Really, really about four people, okay? I'm out here alone. My panelists are via Skype. So the people who, the people at 50 Camp, they're not here. But if all of a sudden you bring eight to ten people back, some other offices, 20, 30, 50, 100, all of a sudden you don't have the same containment that you had when you had shelter in place. And yes, I get the economic loss uh, and people being furloughed and not working, but the flip side is, which I got to think about, what happens if somebody contracts it? Now, what happens to them economically and their family? Hospital stay, things along those lines. And so all the people... What, who happens, what happens when people die? Yes. Because we're seeing deaths and they are dying. And so that's, that's the other, the main concern. Um, and nobody wants to be the cause of deaths. And, and, and as a knowing someone or having a loved one to die when it was preventable. Absolutely. Um, what, what, what would you advise in, in, terms of, in terms of messaging that should be uh, specifically for African-Americans? 
um, when the White House last when they last week when they came out and they talked about like all of a sudden they were surprised by this disproportionate number of African Americans dying. And then Dr. Anthony Fauci stood up there and said that they didn't realize that asthma was an underlying condition. I had a doctor from Meharry on who was like, any black, black medical person could have told you that. Uh, I said, so I, we've, we've been talking about um, health disparities again for lo- about 20 years. We even have a National Institute of Minority Health and Health Disparities mm-hmm. at NIH that's doing that research because we know that these disparities exist. And what I have been saying and want to emphasize even more now is that when we first started talking about the coronavirus, we were talking about elderly and people with underlying health conditions. What people didn't realize, they thought, you know, cancer, they thought HIV, some of those type conditions. But what they didn't think about was diabetes and high blood pressure, uh, strokes, cardiovascular disease, somebody with a cardiac arrhythmia who may be working and doing very fine all day, but have a arrhythmia. I'm on the board of the American Heart Association, and we're putting $2.6 million into research around cardiovascular disease and health disparities. And so these things are, are there. We knew that these um, underlying conditions are more prevalent in our community. What we didn't know was that the coronavirus was going to be affecting us much faster, much more, and more people were going to die from it. Well, and and I, that's where the big questions come in, is that how do we prevent people from getting it? And the first thing we can do is socially distance ourselves. Mm-hmm. And most of us are, but some are not. And so if I were going to give you any any advice, the first thing is to wash your hands, wash your hands, wash your hands. And then the social distancing really does protect you and your loved ones and just stay as six feet apart from each other. Just don't spread it. Don't give it to someone else when you may not even know you had it yourself. And then you may not, you don't want to contract it. We have to protect each other. Well, on that particular point there, what I keep saying, I literally, I literally told the White House this. I said, look, you need to have black folks black and brown people out there as well talking about this because the reality is African-Americans, look, when it comes yeah. to who do we trust more? Do we trust an African-American doctor? Do we trust a white doctor? T- same thing in media. Where am I getting my information from? And I said, guys, look, uh, I-, I said, Burks is fine, Fauci is fine, but to your point, you have a, you have a, a whole apparatus at NIH you need to have, versus Trump running his mouth in these news conferences, put the experts up there to share the information so people can actually learn about what's going on with this. And we have an opportunity here through you and others like you to, to give the good basic information to people and hopefully they'll they'll listen to, to you and look at you and, and watch your leadership and and follow your leadership in, in doing these things. And, and you know, we'll see, I, I'll see on social media where some group has had a party and they're talking about how great a time they're having. Uh, I heard it put best by a, a, a guy from New Orleans who had overcome the, the virus. He'd come off the ventilator. He says, you guys, you can either be socially distanced or you can be socially dead. Your choice. That's it's just that simple. Right, right. It's it's it is just that simple. Uh, final fi- final question for you, um, and we talk about models and things along those lines. Uh, I, I've been saying to friends of mine, I've been saying 
uh, to folks who work for me, look, I don't think for a second this goes away in three months. To me, I said we should be preparing ourselves mentally that this is going to be from now until the end of the year. When you look at what is happening in New Orleans, where the mayor said, look, no major events for 2020. The folks at Essence really wanted to have Essence Festival. She wouldn't budge. They, they now say cancel it. We'll be back in 2021. I, I just think that this thing is so uncertain. I, I think it makes sense to prepare yourself for the long haul. And then if it's shortened, great. But just to your point... Right. Go we got common sense. Yeah. Use the common sense. <laughs> well, everybody ain't got common sense. <laughs> yeah, but uh, <laughs> more of us have it than don't, I right. hope. Right, right. <laughs> well, well, again, that, that, that's just sort of what I'm sort of... And use, again, using your point about, uh, about the hurricane, hey, even when that hurricane is gone, you might have flooding, you may have other things that actually happen. You just have to prepare yourself for that uh, because... Uh, it's there, and, and I just think this is something we've never seen before, never experienced before. Prepare exactly. yourself mentally for it. After Katrina, we had never seen anything that big. We are still overcoming Katrina to this day. Wow, that's a decade it, it later. Takes, it takes years to overcome. So to think that we'd be ready to be completely back to normal in two weeks is is not common sense. Absolutely. Dr. Regina Benjamin, we certainly appreciate it. Thanks a bunch. Uh, if folks want to get more information on your public policy uh, uh, institute, where can they get information from? Basically, it's um, Gulf States Health Policy Center um, dot org or BayouClinic.org. Uh, well, we certainly appreciate that, and hopefully those governors in those Gulf states are paying attention to what you and others are saying there uh, as opposed to uh, some of the decisions that we're... Actually, we're I, I've been working with our governor to put together an information hub. I'm working with a, a tech company called Yext, and they've done a wonderful job of pulling all the information together so that people can go and get good, solid health information. Everything that the health department has, the st statistics is on a dashboard at that site. We call it covid19.alabama.gov. And basically, you can go there and get it yourself. Look for it yourself. You don't have to listen to anybody else give you their opinions of the statistics. They're there. There's also places to find jobs. We have a, in Alabama, we have 11,000 jobs that are available. You can apply online. We also have how to track your illness if you think you're sick, where you can get your test sites. All of that's there so that people can take control of their own destiny, their own health by, by having information because information is power. All right. Dr. Benjamin, we appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Thank you. All right, I certainly want to thank Dr. Benjamin for that. And j just so you understand why we don't take these news conferences uh, live, uh, we just missed, missed Dr. Fauci. We'll try to pull his clips up. Uh, go to my iPad. Sam Stein just tweeted this. He's with the Daily Beast. He said, Trump just now touting 3.5 million tests completed is a weird boast because on March 4th, Mike Pence pledged 4 million tests by the end of that week. In fact, if you see the bottom of this, the White House promised 27 million coronavirus tests by the end of March, but just hit 1 million. So here we are in the middle of April, and they're saying, hey, 3.5 million tests. When y'all said we're going to have four at the end of one week. 
Let's talk about what's happening on the business side. Facebook is offering $100 million in cash grants and ad credits to help during the coronavirus pandemic. Up to 30,000 eligible small businesses in more than 30 countries where they operate will be able to receive the grant. Now, to be eligible to apply, you must be a for-profit company, have between 2 and 50 employees, have been in business for over a year, have experienced challenges from COVID-19, be in or near a location where Facebook operates. Now, they have, uh, now if you go to facebook.com forward slash business forward slash boost forward slash grants, you can see the information uh, and they have it based upon also cities. And I think it's like April 18th. If you're in New York City in Seattle, then there's another date for, for San Francisco. And then there's another date, April 22nd for the rest of the cities. And so again, if you're a small business, put it back up. Uh, you can apply for these grants. The folks at Facebook sent this to me, facebook.com forward slash business forward slash boost forward slash grants. Now, we've been talking about the PPP program, uh, which Congress passed uh, that $350 billion to help small businesses. The SBA, the Small Business Administration, announced today it is out of money for firms seeking loans. They said in a statement, quote, the SBA, the SBA is currently unable to accept new applications for the Paycheck Protection Program based on available appropriations funding. Similarly, we're unable to enroll new PPD lenders at this time. The statement comes as lawmakers on Capitol Hill are wrangling over replenishing the program. Now, here's the other issue that we're dealing with. I'm going to talk about this with my next guest, John Hope Bryant, the CEO of Operation Hope. This was set up for small businesses. Politico, we talked about it yesterday, reported that Potbelly and Ruth Chris Steakhouse have received the maximum, remember, for this program of the $10 million. That Potbelly and Ruth Chris, Steak, Ruth Chris Steakhouse, two chain restaurants, were able to qualify under this program. Does that sound like a small business to you? Let's bring in John Hope Bryant with CEO of Operation Hope. Uh, John, you came on the show. You talked about what was important for African-Americans. Uh, obviously, this, this, is, this was a huge program, $350 billion. Congress is now realizing that mm, that wasn't enough money. Correct. Yeah, so first of all, Roland, thanks for continuing to be a voice for all of us. Uh, which topic, and, and by the way, Dr. Regina Benjamin, who is a dear friend of mine, served on the operational board for years and is doing incredible work in the South is just a beacon and a light for our community, uh, former Surgeon General. So obviously you're showing enormous great taste in having her on. Which thing do you want to cover first, Roland? Because, you know, first, for, first and foremost, um, the fact that they announced today that the program has run out of money, they're not processing applications, they're not even uh, even pulling in more banks. I'll just give you an example. Northern Trust is my bank. I don't have a loan with any bank. That's who I bank with. Uh, they, you know, they, they've applied for the program, haven't even heard back whether they got accepted. So, you know, we can't even file because you got, with this program, you got to have a bank uh, to actually go through to file for it. Go ahead. Yeah, I, I just don't know, you know, I don't know in which direction we should go first. I'm, I'm very rarely at a loss for words, but I, I both am sharing in your frustration about all that we're not getting, and I'm also frustrated that we didn't go get the thing that was right in front of us that's the biggest giveaway program of the federal government ever. It was free money, effectively. I know because I helped design some part of the program, as you know. And we just weren't ready. Now, you know, is it, uh, I, I guess I can say this on your show. Uh, I'll, I'll frame it because it's, it's who could be watching. Was it a crap show? Oh, you don't want to say something else. Of course it was a crap show. 
the federal government stood up the 10th largest bank in America in 30 days, 20 days. Of course, it's a mess. Ready, fire, aim, programs changing every 28 seconds. Nobody's happy. But, you know, they did throw out, push out, you know, one point whatever million loans. The two-thirds of the loans are $150,000 or less. I know I checked myself. I couldn't, right. get, couldn't find out what, what the ethnic race was because they didn't put that on the form. I'm sure that was not an accident, but can't <laughs> figure out what race it is. But at least two-thirds of the loans are below $150,000. Um, and, you know, the folks who work for Ruth Chris Steakhouse are going to be mostly working-class people who you and I know. So I don't have a problem with that, actually. The problem I have is, is I'm convinced that we did not get a lion's share of these loans for a range of reasons um, that frustrate me. I'm not sure if it's even helpful to... Well, I think... Well, here's, here's the deal. Here's, here's, first of all, look, like my brother, uh, he's with... Uh, he works with the Houston Restaurant Association, the Texas Restaurant Association. He was sending me text messages because he was hearing from a number of, of their clients. Uh, and there were a number of people who did apply. I remember reading a story... And there was a guy, and I think it was out of Wisconsin, and he was on the phone line uh, trying, to, trying to get information. And there were, I think the story said there were like 17,500 people who were ahead of him. Here's, yeah. what I, here's what I think the folks in Congress should have learned from this. It's yeah. a whole lot of damn small businesses in the United States. 30 million. And, I, and, and a third of them are minority, minority uh, small businesses. Go ahead. And, and, and I think what, what they also should have learned is that, look, you can't be talking about open back up, get back going, this whole deal like that, and not realizing that those small businesses, they are the economic engine of this country. And I think yeah. what happens a lot, John, is that when we talk about business in America, it's sort of like when we talk about mega churches. People love to go, oh, the mega churches, they cause all the problems when mega churches represent only 4% of all churches in America. Because we think big means everybody works there, when in fact, that's just really not it. It's the aggregate of the small businesses that you got to pay attention to. Yeah. And, and we now know that 40% of people who work on hourly wage, who look like us mostly, are now the secondary responders who are allowing for everybody else to stay at home. They're, they're delivering packages. They are stocking shelves. They are working in hospitals. They are they are the backbone of this nation right now. And they look like us, and they're at high risk of, of infections because they're not uh, they're not socially distancing at home or at work. But that's another topic. Back to your topic. Uh, I think that uh, there's going to be a lot more um, respect, regard. And I'm, I'm going to go on the limb here and say resources that are going to be coming the way of black and brown-owned businesses in coming weeks, months, and I'm going to argue years. I think COVID-19 has changed America, Roland. It may be the most transformational event, certainly since the, the civil rights movement, for sure, or the Great Depression, I'm sorry. Let's go, I'm going to go on sort of Great Depression economically. It might be the most defining event since the Civil War. Um, never has the world ever seen, forget America, never has the world ever seen this kind of a stimulus package. The great, the, uh, the, um, great uh, recession of the mortgage crisis was a $187 billion bailout. People lost their mind over that amount of money. This, this, this is $2.5 trillion in one package, a trillion that went through the Fed window, and another trillion that went through, through various uh, orifices. I mean, it's $4.5 trillion. It's 
it's 40 times larger than anything this ever, the world's had ever seen before because we're the largest economy in the world, and it ain't over. There's going to be a need for another trillion, in my opinion, and I believe that, that there'll, be, there'll be another shot for businesses to get access to this capital. I think you need at least you need at least 500 billion, uh, maybe more like 800 billion, to plug this hole. Uh, it's coming, Roland, because it, because there's one thing's not going to happen is the government's not going to let America run out of money. America's not going to let American business fail. And it, it's not black. Black folks get the benefit because we're going to connect with all other businesses. If this is a black crisis, it'd be a problem. <laughs> if this is a, 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 a low-wage crisis, this would be a problem. The fact is, this is everybody's crisis, and so it's going to get fixed. So what, so what is your advice? What is your advice yeah. to lawmakers to ensure those who, abs who absolutely need are not, frankly, at the back of the line, at the front of the line. We talk about scriptures. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We, we say, when you say, uh, frankly, uh, the last will be first and the first will be last, unfortunately, when you talk about money in America, uh, the first is first, second, and third. Agreed. And by the way, showing that this is class and not race, Roland, I got money. I, I, didn't, I intentionally did not have my for-profit applied because I was involved in some of the structural stuff, so I didn't want anybody to say I benefited. So my for-profit didn't apply. My non-profit applied. My non-profit got approved instantly because we had the back-end finance department, accounting department, our records were straight, and we were able to rifle shoot just like everybody else, our records in, and get in line and, and bug everybody to death until it got, it got done. But I have a whole division that does that. I, I Ten friends have called me, black and white, all educated, have accounting departments, all of them frustrated, all of them got their money. It was a it was a crap show. They were frustrated. They had to call eight times. They all got their money. A lot of folks that you and I care about did not get their money, in part because maybe they didn't try, they went late, they went last, the records weren't straight, whatever. You're going to get a, another shot at that, at, at, that, at, at that apple here soon. Um, here's what I say to lawmakers, two things. One, th this could have been avoided if we had had uh, the, the National Urban League Church of God in Christ, First AME Church, I'm sorry, the AME Church, the National Baptist Convention, Operation Hope. I'm probably missing a couple of groups. Uh, let's throw the NAACP in there, their offices. Deputize them as federal community trust officers. Federal community trust officers. And give them the right uh, and the authority to take the folks in their pews and in their client, client stables, client account lists, and counsel them and coach them, because we already have trust, in uh, the requirements for these loans and gateway them right into a priority list, to your point, with predefined group of banks or a, a fintech firms or other firms approved CDFIs who put us at, to you say, the front of the line for, and I'm going to say the second thing is, there should be, should be a bucketed amount of money that's set aside in the next tranche, call it, I'm going to pick a number, $50 million dollars that is prioritized for African-American small businesses. Uh, we're dying at the highest rate in this crisis, and my guess is we're getting the lowest level of access to capital. And so those two things, if you did those two things, I think you'd see a transformational ramping up of liquidity and access to capital for our people. Just do those things. Pay the nonprofit groups to, to be the distribution channel, right? Don't ask them to do it for free deputize them so they have the authority to do it give them the the uh, the training they need so that we're not so we're not giving people bad information 
and give them the on-ramp to a defined group of lenders uh, that have that put us at the front of the line for the application. That can be done in this next tranche. And I'm talking to folks at the White House that are open to that idea. Uh, I'm talking to I'm not talking to legislators, but you can you can certainly do that. Our friends in Congress on both sides of the aisle. Um, and and I, so I think that's possible. And right. I'm, I'm going to go one step further, Roland. I'm actually pushing for a new Marshall Plan. I think this is the this is the time to shove everything that we thought was important down down a, a chute called reboot. Okay. And I'm talking about internships for all apprenticeships for all as much education as you can shove down people's throat black folks will never get reparations it's just it's just it's a hard fight but this could be reparations education for everybody k through college uh, as long as you get a job uh, or, or you do something gainful or do something like productive with at the end of that degree you don't have to pay it back just like the ppp loan it's an investment in america it's not a handout you're investing in america's people to 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 reinvest in our society it's not a handout so, so you know, it, there's, I've got some other th- access to capital using venture capital, publicly funded venture capital, uh, heavily incentivized private capital for this purpose as well uh, to, to back a whole network of, uh, of, of local enterprises that, be- that can become employers in our neighborhood that aren't rap stars. Uh, we got to be experts in something other than, than the arts, I- I- entertainment, and, mu- and, uh, and, and professional sports. That's not enough. Uh, bandwidth to employ 40 million black people. I just love it. It's fantastic. Chris Tucker and Tip and all my friends, I love they're doing it. Oprah, I love you. But they can't employ tens of thousands of people. We need to back businesses. And I think call centers in our... But, Roland, I think... So, I've given you... I've answered your question. I over-answered your question. I got you. But I also think there's an opportunity for, for black folks, if you can get beyond the surviving mentality and get to a thriving mentality and a winning mentality and stop being angry because anger doesn't pay a bill and and think like you think which is to be res- to respond not react on the, we're going to get through this because if god wanted to kill us we'd be dead this is a reset not a reboot societally we'll, we'll get on the other side of this even with all the pain what are you going to do in four months on the other side of this six months whatever the number is it'll be this year and what are you going to do because the world's going to be different and opportunities, Roland, please, your people need to hear me, will be everywhere. I, while I'm sitting here, I just got an email from somebody trying to sell me something that I've always wanted at half price. If I wanted to buy this two months ago, it would have been full value. They're not trying to give it away to me. There's going to there's gonna be a discount on stocks, a discount on real estate. I, I mean, the, 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 uh, I'm going to tell you a real quick story. I was, with Ambassador, I was at Ambassador Young's house during the last crisis. And he sends his love to you, by the way, Roland. And his gardener, black guy, I said, man, how you doing in the subprime crisis? Are you a lot of pain? He owned a little business. And he said, no, I'm good. I was poor before this crisis. So he said, I'm broke before this crisis. I'll be broke after this crisis. It's my rich white friends that want to kill themselves because they lost all their money. And what he was saying was that there's been a, a recalibration and, those, and the wealthy folks were, were brought down to his level. Well, shoot, he's used to hustle. <laughs> so now he's got an opportunity because there was a bifurcation on class. They were getting opportunities he wasn't. Now... He's like, look, we all can hustle together to get this new opportunity. That's what I want people thinking about. Mm-hmm. Don't well, just get stuck on, on, on the frustration because there's going to be a, a lift back up here and there'll be two economies. This one, the L, that leads to recession, and this one, the soft U, that leads to recovery. I want, you, I want us riding on this railroad 
not on this railroad. They're going to go both happen at the same time. I got my panelists. Uh, I'm going to each one of them for one question. I will start with Greg Carr. I think you've answered everything uh, that I would have asked, uh, Roland, you asked about what policymakers can do. I am concerned about one of kind of soft underbellies uh, in our community, particularly these very small uh, businesses. You know, folks who, how can folks move very quickly to get, as you say, their paperwork in order so that they can go through that very clean shoot? Uh, I'm sure people are scrambling now, Brother John. Yeah, call me. Call, I mean, this is what frustrates me. Like, I've been saying this to my people for, for Roland knows, six weeks now. Call Operation Hope. Our services are free. We'll help walk you through this. We've gotten some calls, but when did my website crash? When 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 when, uh, when uh, uh, Gail King put me on CBS's morning mainstream audience and all, made the same offer, my website crashed, my phones got exploded, people saying, sign me up. I need folks who look like me to use our services. Call me, and I will, not me personally, but call Operation Hope. We will walk you through this process. I'm in 22 states. Services are free. So, yeah, I'm with you 100%. But there's a lot of historic reasons why we don't trust government. We don't trust banks. I get it. Freedman's Bank. I get it. We got to get over all that stuff because the money will run out while we're sitting here contemplating. Right. It did run out, actually. Racy. Um. So we've, I've seen reports about how this administration has given out no-bid contracts into one specific company, hundreds of, over $100 million contract for N95 masks, and it's bankrupt. There is a huge opportunity, as you said here, outside of even the loan aspect and the grants and stuff that, are, well, that were available in terms of government contracting. Are you involved or do you know of any resources that can help minority Black-owned businesses, Black woman-owned businesses, get in on this federal contracting, um, you know, contracts that are being um, put out there? Because it does seem like we do get left behind, even though there are supposedly all these, you know, these set-asides for us and all these quotas, which the administration is trying to, to do away with in the meantime. How can we get be a part of that or make sure that we're not left a part of that? The lady's question is is dead on right. And I'm not going to give you an answer you like. I don't think, I think that that all the structure and the programs and the those are great and people mean well. But in a crisis like this, the urgent crowds out the important and people rely on their relationships. So somebody in the government, not meaning to discriminate against you and me at all, trying to solve a problem, is going to reach out to whom? Their friends. Their, whoever called, somebody they know, somebody they've, they, they've known for 10 years, went to school with, I don't know, but somebody who they hooked up with or somebody knows somebody, hey, I can get you these masks. Oh, really? Tell me about that. That's who's going to get this deal. So so you're right. It, it, and, and, and you will find out about this when the dust settles. I want you to be part of the dust settling. Okay? So you've got to get a hold of Nicole Frazier at the White House, who is special assistant to the, special assistant to the president for African American affairs? She's actually a nice person. You got to get a hold of Jerron Smith. Uh, Roland knows all these people. In fact, Jerron's going to come on Roland's show. He's actually a good brother. Uh, I found him to be an honest broker. Uh, we don't talk politics. We only talk about these issues. Uh, and he respects you know respects the fact that I want to talk politics about about that situation. And He's an expert in Q-Qualified Opportunity Zones. He's an expert in CRA, Community Investment Act. And he wants to get you opportunities. 
you got to get to know these people. You got to get to know Chris Pinkerton at the White House. You got to get to know people running the SBA, people running the different agencies, because life's about relationships. And so, okay, you don't have time to get to know them right now? Fine. Send them a soft letter. Send them an email. Let them know who you are. Let them know you're not selling them something right now. You just, here's what your company does. Here's what you're offering. You'd like to have 10 minutes on the phone with them. Also, we have time right now for an hour conversation. Five, 10 minutes just to orient them to what you're doing so that when the opportunity comes around that you're available and let them know you're a minority-owned business. Play that card. And copy me, copy Roland, uh, you know, uh, uh, when you send these notes. Roland will give you my information. Roland, you could probably get them on this next call with um, the White House for uh, black leadership. We, the first call we did was 4,000 people. They'd never done it in the history of the White House, of this White House. And uh, they were nervous a few weeks ago when they did this, but it worked out really well. Um, and no one got political on either side. And we talk, dealt with the business. You need to be on that call or have somebody on that call that you deputize from your community who raises intelligently, thoughtfully, not emotionally, the issue you just raised. And let them respond to it. Uh, so I think that this is my suggestion: is uh, you got to insert yourself in the process in a way in which that's effective. Which means I want you to respond to issues, not react to them. If we re if we react to this and get emotional, we're done. If we get angry, start cursing people out, and nobody got time for that right now. Nobody cares actually. You gotta uh, you gotta insert yourself into the flow of literally billions and arguably hundreds of billions of dollars in the next 90 to 120 days. It'll probably last all of this year, but most of this money will flow in the next right. month. Roland, you agree or disagree? No, I agree. I, absolutely. I think uh, especially, I, I've been telling people, prepare yourself mentally that we're going to be dealing with this to the end of the year. It's not going to just go away in 60 or 90 days, even though some people want to wish it to go away. Brooke Thomas, final question from you for John Hope. And by the way, go to your member of Congress, get them to write you a letter as well. They, they, Congress has a lot of sway right now. Sorry about that, Roland. Go ahead, go ahead Brooke. Yeah, I just have a question. It may be a little bit of a reiteration, but I, I'm curious as to what is the, the like a the concern or question that you're getting the most. You mentioned your website crashing after the CTM appearance. What is something that is representing itself as like the biggest concern or something that you're getting so often? Because often other people have that same question or concern. Yeah, great question. So just so happens I have the results here of my call center of, my, of the call in. So this is this was before. Um, uh, Gail King's show. This is our people uh, in one month. Uh, typically what people would happen is people would call in they had one request. They want, I want to be part of your 700 credit score program. Get my credit score. I want to become your home loan program. I want to be part of your small business program. It wasn't two or three services. They just went one. Here's what we got. Uh, so think about 100, a, group, uh, uh, a rating, ranking of 100 now. You'll think my math is screwy, but what this means is that the same person was asking for five things. 59% wanted assistance with the SBA process. They were confused. 47% was wanted assistance with federal programs, like the, uh, the accelerated unemployment insurance, like the earned income tax credit, which you can still get and you need to apply for today as, an, as another three to $10,000 in your pocket that, again, we don't apply for. It, go get your money. It has nothing to do with COVID. Go get your three to $10,000. Um, like the, um, the check that should be hitting your mailbox this week or next, uh, and, and I can tell you about that, define, pretty much tell you how much money you get. But you, even if you didn't file a tax return, you get that money. But you've got to go into the IRS website and let them know where to send your money. Otherwise, you won't get it. So 47% uh, of that. 33% wanted help restructuring a home mortgage. 
Uh, 33% wanted help with financial recovery planning. This is really smart. 38% wanted help with negotiating with the creditors. And 23% wanted help with student loan deferrals. And then 26% wanted help with credit counseling. So the, the, lowest, the lowest number here, it was my highest number a month ago. Uh, credit counseling, credit score assistance, that was my highest ask. It was singular. Now I've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven asks by the same person who had members, members of their family with multiple needs. Mainstream America, Gail King Show, they wanted help with the, with the federal loan program and mostly uh, restructuring their finances. This is good. So the problem has now become mainstream. I'm, I'm predicting that what I was doing for minority America now is going to rely, going to, going to apply to 80% of America in the next two or three months. Uh, John Hope Bryant, always a pleasure. Tell folks where uh, the website, where they can get more information to log on right now. Yeah, operationhope.org, hope inside disaster, covid19.org. All services are free. Or you can call 888, uh, uh-oh, I forget my uh, my toll-free number. Take your but, time, take your time to find it. It's on my, uh, well, okay, I'll find it for you. It is uh, 888-388-HOPE. 888-388-HOPE. And we have an app coming out next week that'll be on the uh, on all your platforms. It's called Hope in Hand, Hope Mobile. You'll be able to do all this stuff right from your, your app as of next week. Go get your money that's still there on the individual assistance program. Make sure the IRS knows where to give you your money. If you're a senior citizen, you still get the money. If you're, an un if you're a documented alien, you get the money. Uh, you know, there's a lot of categories. And if you have children... You get, a, you get another check. If you have a spouse working in the house, you get another check. Make sure they give you all of your money from that program and go get your EITC, Earned Income Tax Credit. Anybody making less than $54,000 a year, most of us, uh, that's another check. And it's three years retroactive. And that's why Roland Martin Unfiltered Matters, giving you this information directly because, frankly, it's not. John don't get, John don't get this much time uh, on the major networks. But that's why we got to walk ourselves through information is indeed power. John Hubbryan, we appreciate it, man. Thanks a lot. Love you, man. Peace uh, life. I appreciate it, sir. Thank you so very much. A lot of you uh, saw uh, this clip that was uh, being spread around the Internet. Check this out. All right, guys. Y'all should have been ready in the control room. Come on. Come on. Y'all should have been ready. Okay, let me be real clear. Y'all were in there talking and not focused on work. Come on, play the clip. Well, when we came up with our valuation, we did last month's sales <laughs> and we multiplied been by 12. Like, if we didn't grow at all, we would make 115 for the next 12 months. Kim? So we actually ended up with a 6.9 million valuation, but we brought it down to 4 million. we really want Oh, hey, I can work a spreadsheet, too. We'll need a lot of money, so we would probably have to raise again. Yes, which is why I need 20% today. And you're getting a shark. 400,000 for 20%. I'm not going to change that. What are you going to do? Sorry, Robert. Oh! Can't take that. Oh, we, yes, we cannot take that. I respect that. Good well, for you. I have to say. I didn't see that coming. I'm out.
Thank you. Congratulations, guys. That's confidence in your guts. Wow, how about that? I can't believe they didn't take it. I, I can't, can't believe that. Well, Kim and Tim Lewis, they were like, nah, we'll pass. <laughs> so how are they doing right now? They join us right now. How y'all doing? All We're right. Great. Thank you so much for having us, Mr. Martin. This one, is of so awesome. one of the reasons I wanted to have y'all on, not, not only because I saw that clip, because also while we we're in the middle of this whole coronavirus uh, issue, it's impacting businesses, uh, people's ability to raise money, to be able to make money. Uh, but, but, but what really stood out there is that, and I think they were shocked, that y'all wouldn't just give up 20% of, of equity, I mean, that's real. I mean, that's that, that's that's for $400,000. Uh, how, how did that decision turn out? Oh, that was the best decision we could have made. We wanted to be honest and true. We know some people go on the show and they say they'll take a deal and then on the back end, they don't. Um, but that's just not who we are. We like to be really transparent and honest. And so we didn't take the deal. And now, today, we ended up doing a deal with the CEO of LinkedIn for $1.2 million shortly after the show aired. For a valuation of about $12 million. And so that was based on our sales last year. But since, I'm sorry, our sales up until maybe March of last year, but we did about $5.5 in revenue last year. So I think we're far above the $12 million valuation. Wow. Um, so so you did, so they were offering $400,000 for 20% equity, and you later did a deal for $1.2 for the same 20%? For less, for 10%. For 10%. Wow. So three times more money for half of the equity you were going to give up. Yeah, and they've actually even, we've we've grown so much since then. We 5X since we even made that valuation when it comes to revenue. Yeah. So they've already made their investment back, and we're still growing. Um, so it was really one of the best decisions we made in our life. Props to my wife. We did all the homework, all the background. We knew what our value was going in. Um, and we very and we stood to that. You know, we stuck stuck by what we knew was true about us and our company and what we believed in. And it was us at the end of the day. We believed in ourselves to grow our company and be successful. And they didn't see that um, as much as they should have on Shark Tank. But well, luckily, we're gonna keep going. Just well, I, all love the sharks, though. Well, 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 I think. But here's the deal, though. I mean, I th look it, the way a lot of these folks work is to give less money to get more equity because they hope that the company uh, is, frankly, desperate for the cash and then, oh, you're getting one of the sharks. That's that's if you don't also don't believe in yourself and your plan. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so we actually, the year prior to the episode airing, we went from about zero to a million in sales. And then we 5 x that in the next year, and we're going to do more than that this year. Um, so we knew that we were growing. We knew that we had that upwards trajectory. Yeah. What we really needed was um, advice and support and education and knowledge about how to navigate um, a, you know, a rapidly scaling startup. And um, that's why we really wanted a shark on our team. But we knew that you know we could figure it out if we we're going to have to give up 20% of our business. And that's we had... It wasn't in the plan. For us, we had a better... A BATNA, a walkaway number, essentially and it was 15% of the business. Because we knew at some point we may have to raise again, and we just didn't want to, that time that we raised where we have a minority stake in the company. And so we, we negotiated with Robert, but he wouldn't negotiate. He also said he didn't know anything about the market. And so we were like, okay, well then maybe this just isn't the ideal partnership. One of the things that, uh, and I've interviewed a number of entrepreneurs and when people go out uh, in the space to raise money, um, it's for some people it's a crapshoot. So some people it turns out well, others not. Uh, I remember um, talking to one brother uh, who had uh, had a hair care company, 
and he mm -hmm. actually and, and it got lots of attention, lots of attention. It's a well-known well company, uh, but he said he actually regretted. Uh, raising the amount of money because it, when it came down to uh, control and then, then, then when it came down to equity. And so how do you advise people uh, to, to walk through that? Because others, again, might see 400000 or half a million dollars and a million and say, that means that I don't have to sit here and just, you know, uh, and just uh, starve myself and pay my employees versus paying myself. But on the back end, they may be really uh, screwing themselves out of millions, to be honest. So I think there are two sides to every coin. I think as long as you have a good strategy and you are deep into the data that, and you feel like this is a good, you know, you, know, you usually have a gut feeling, like this is a good or bad decision. Without that million dollars, we wouldn't have been able to transition all of our staff from contractors to full-time employees. Because it's not just, if you, someone makes $60,000 a year, as an employer, I'm paying an additional like $5,000 a month for their salary, but then an additional $1,000 in expenses when it comes to employment insurance, payroll taxes, health insurance, dental, all of that, right? And so we would have been able to have that plus invest in inventory um, before all this madness with the virus happened, plus um, just have like an established business that has more security um, if we hadn't raised that money. Now, I will say you have more control over your company and the direction of it when you don't have investors, and that's great but if you're just starting out um there's a lot you don't know and you may not even make it to that point you know you may not make it past a couple of years without that kind of investment so i think it's just really a right it's just it's it's different for everyone for us we've taken an investment for 1.2 million i thought i wanted to raise again uh and so i even kind of had preliminary conversations with investors because we did 5x our revenue and so if you are raising venture capital you want to raise it on the heels of a 500 return on investment um and we were having conversations and people, some people didn't see the vision, you know? And so for me, I'm just like, well, I'm not going to devalue my company just so I can get a check, right? We have, we're stable enough to continue to grow and grow profitably. And people, I've had, I know that black women, well, minorities get less than a couple percent of venture capital period and black women get like less than 0.02% or something crazy. So for me, I recommend for us that we just build bomb companies making cash hand over fist because when we do that then people will look at that right they don't understand our product because they're they're not black people with money are not black but when they see dollar signs then they start writing checks yeah that's the real key right there is we found that investors really want to talk to you when you actually don't need them when you're being successful and you're growing and you're scaling um that's when they really want you to want to get on your side right so the best thing you can do is you know, take care of yourself and build your company in the best way you can. And then hopefully someone will share that vision and want to help out. And bootstrap yourself the way we, I said, we got an investor from Arlen from Backstage Capital. She's a black woman running a fund that invested underrepresented founders. And yep. we love her work. Um, she, she was, was our the first, first check. money, first money. And we love Arlen. $25,000. And it came after we had bootstrapped so much and like failed for a few years in a row um, and her check came right when we knew exactly what to do with it. And it helped us move into our first manufacturing facility and like, you know, buy new labels and pivot the business. And that was the year that we made a million dollars. But effectively, we bootstrapped most of the way because, you know, 25000 is, you know, at the time meant so much. But we had spent a lot of our own money getting to that point. All right. Got questions from our panel. Reese, you're first. story because I think that um, just in general, black entrepreneurs are undervalued 
and knowing when to walk away is a huge takeaway. Um, how is this environment affecting or impacting your business? I know you, it sounded like you said that you have extra inventory or you scaled up in your inventory prior to coronavirus. Have you started to, or have you, have you both started to think about how your business model is going to change in light of coronavirus? Absolutely. So there are a few different ways coronavirus has had an effect on our business. Some of them positive um, and some of them negative. So to start out, when it comes to taking care of our people, you know, we already made sure that, um, as like Kim said, we were able to transition all of our staff from contractors to full-time um, last year with our first investment. And right away, we offered everyone full benefits and we do double minimum wage for just our starting employees. And almost everyone makes above inventory average at every level, I'm, not, I'm sorry, industry average at every level of the business. So $17 so an hour is where we start. Is where we start with full benefits. And so we wanted to make sure that first and foremost, we took care of our people. So we decided to make sure that everyone gets paid if we have to shut down. Um, we have a, a program where if we have to, if you have to go out for two weeks um, or if you're sick or if you're with someone who's sick or you have to take care of people who are stuck at home, we, we allow for you to take that time off. We're running a, you know, a very limited crew um, just to make sure that we're able to kind of keep basic functioning of the business. Um, so we put those things in place. But prior to um, COVID becoming a huge issue, we were already on the path towards profitability. And so what happened was we were in a great position to kind of take advantage of some of the other benefits that have happened. With people being at home right now, a lot more people are shopping online that have never shopped online before. E-commerce is um, really growing for us with a lot of new customers, a lot of new access to people who are on home, on social media, things like that. So there, so some negative things for sure, um, especially when it comes to our supply chain as well. But we're, we feel like we're prepared because we've been working on the problems in our business for months now. In the supply chain, what's going on there? So we don't necessarily, we make our products on the west side of Chicago. So it's not like we're ordering materials that have things that have been, that have been made in China and then selling them here in the United States. We're making everything. But raw materials do co still come from throughout the world. And so, or like some packaging pieces, right? Yeah. And if those people are not at their jobs working, then it's harder for us to get the materials to make a shampoo, to make, um, you know, a body butter. Or a hand sanitizer, things like that. Yes. The, the whole kind of supply chain is strained right now. Um, so we've made sure to be as transparent as we can with our customers that things might take longer, but you're still going to get high quality products and services that we continue to offer. And we have uh, 20 employees and 10 of them are already working remotely. So our, we were already, our online team was already all over the country working. So <laughs> already that didn't, at home. Yes, so, sorry. Which is great. So they didn't affect us in that way. But and then we have about 10 people who operate our manufacturing facility. And six of them have been coming in and four are, two are at home with their kids. They just have babies and the other two um, are at home because of the virus. But they don't have it. They're just kind of like. They were nervous about coming in. And the people who are coming in were offered a $50 day bonus for uh, employees for the 30-day period. Uh, so they're getting a bonus of $1,000 for coming in. as like hazard pay. Yeah. All right. So Brooke, your question. Brooke? Yeah, I want to take it back to Shark Tank just really quickly because I do love that you, you came in. You were not going to give up more than 15%. Very strong and stuck to that. But... It, we're human, you know, and oftentimes, like, when you make a big decision and a hard decision like that, it's it's it, almost impossible not to waver a little bit. So I'm wondering what your thought process was, your feelings, right after you made that decision and you bet on yourself, and obviously you were right, but were you worried a little bit? 
Oh, absolutely. I mean, first of all, that's the scariest thing I've ever done in my life is be on Shark Tank because you're in the room with a couple billion dollars in net worth, right? And you um, have been practicing. And and all of America is watching, right? There's some like 20 million people watch that show. So. In the first 30 seconds, they don't edit. So if you flub it, you just, you know, you're messed up, right? And so oh, yeah. and all the pics on you, there's 30 cameras. And so I was like, sweating bullets like down my back and like I was just so nervous and then the decision right I um I when I got after we made the decision it was like should we have said yes and then never crossed our we talked about it but we never was like oh yeah we should have we were like no we made the right decision like you know whether or not this airs because you don't know if it's going to air when you film it was just like this was the best thing for us we still have to go home and run a real business this is not a tv business this is not for fun this is how we eat and so after I realized that, I was just like, you know what? That was the, that was the best thing we could have done. I love that. Final question. Oh, very quickly. Uh, shout out to Chicago, y'all up there with Mr. Johnson and them had, used to have uh, used to have their products in Johnson Corporation. So we know black people know how to make money, particularly around here. Oh, and, and parenthetically, since uh, since Negroes is stuck at home with no clippers, y'all might want to expand to the male ethnic. Some dudes might be looking how to get them curls <laughs> in the next six oh, months. Absolutely. But, you know, I use curl mix. <laughs> I use it on both of my boys. Like, we have a huge contingent of, of men who love our products. This is what I'm talking about, brother. Well, here's another one. I'm looking on our website right now, brother. But, um, you know, y'all might not know, today is Emancipation Day in D.C., uh, 1862, <laughs> Compensated Emancipation. But I guess my question, kind of in line with what Brooke just asked in terms of that moment at Shark Tank, you know, what message do you have to folks in our community who want to bet on themselves, who have a sense of their abilities? I love what you said, Tim. I mean, you know, we're looking for some advice, some guidance, but if you don't give it to us, we'll figure it out. You know, what, what message do you have for these folks out here who want to get into business, but who may be wavering in terms of their ability or to see themselves as the expert in the room, as somebody who's willing to do that work so that they can become masters of their future. Yeah, so the biggest thing is like, we found that the internet is the great equalizer yeah. when it comes to business. Like you could start a business tomorrow online with little to no input. All you really need to do is find a market to serve and then find out their pain points and then try to solve those problems. At the end of the day, an entrepreneur is a problem solver. But if you need resources like us, we needed resources. We needed knowledge about how to get these things done. We sought out a network of already successful black entrepreneurs. So uh, I've got to give a huge shout out to uh, Traffic Sales and Profit, the community, and Lamar Tyler, who has been one of our mentors. And we're part of their mastermind group as well. So I think it's the largest black, I think it's the largest mastermind black mastermind in the world when it comes to um small businesses and so with founders who are making five million or more like that's yeah, the other thing is, you know it's like we can find a bunch of like small black businesses but how many of us are making millions and it's at least five to ten people in the group making millions of dollars so that was something else that helped us but also we read right yeah. like if you feel like i don't Come know on. anybody who's an entrepreneur i didn't go to college yeah. i don't that's like, okay, that's fine. You don't have to read a few books. You got Kindle, you got Amazon, you know, pay for a couple hundred dollar course on Insta, on Facebook or whatever, or something. You see the ads, you know, you can teach yeah. yourself. And that's what we've done. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thank you. All right, folks. Well, look, we certainly appreciate y'all being on the show. Uh, thank you so very much. Uh, great information there. Uh, hopefully people uh, will be inspired and uh, learn from that.
We appreciate it. Thank you so much for having us. All right, y'all take care. Folks, got to go to a break. We come back. uh, Last couple of stories. And then, uh, don't forget, in about seven minutes, we go live. Live concert with Gerald Albright. Oh, a jam at G's uh, place. All right, you're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered. Back in a moment. You want to check out Roland Martin Unfiltered? YouTube.com forward slash Roland S. Martin. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. There's only one daily digital show out here that keeps it black and keep it real. It's Roland Martin Unfiltered. See that name right there? Roland Martin Unfiltered. Like, share, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. That's YouTube.com forward slash Roland S. Martin. And don't forget to turn on your notifications so when we go live, you'll know it. You want to support Roland Martin Unfiltered? Be sure to join our Bring the Funk fan club. Every dollar that you give to us supports our daily digital show. There's only one daily digital show out here that keeps it black and keep it real as Roland Martin Unfiltered. Support the Roland Martin Unfiltered daily digital show by going to RolandMartinUnfiltered.com. Our goal is to get 20,000 of our fans contributing 50 bucks each for the whole year. You can make this possible. RolandMartinUnfiltered.com. So a lot of y'all always asking me about terms, some of the pocket squares that I wear. Now, I don't know. Robert don't have one on. Now, I don't particularly like the white pocket squares. I don't like even the silk ones. And so I was reading GQ magazine a number of years ago, and I saw uh, this guy who had this, this pocket square here, and it looks like a flower. Uh, this is called a shibori pocket square. This is how the Japanese manipulate the fabric to create this sort of flower effect. So I'm going to take it out and then place it in my hand so you see what it looks like. And I said, man, this is pretty cool. And so I tracked down, the. it took me a year to find a company that did it. Uh, and so uh, they did these about 47 different colors. And so I love them because, again, as men, we don't have many accessories to wear, so we don't have many options. Uh, and so this is really a pretty cool uh, pocket square. And what I love about this here is you saw uh, when it's uh, in, in the pocket, you know, it gives you that flower effect like that but if I wanted to also unlike other because if I flip it and turn it over it actually gives me a different type of texture and so therefore it gives me a different look so there you go so uh, if you actually want to uh, get one of these shibori pocket squares we have them in 47 different colors all you got to do is go to rollingthismartin.com forward slash pocket squares so it's rollingthismartin.com forward slash pocket squares. All you got to do is go to my website uh, and you can actually uh, get this. Now, for those of you who are members of our Bring the Funk fan club, there's a discount for you to get our pocket squares. That's why you also got to be a part of our Bring the Funk fan club. Uh, And so that's what we want you to do. And so it's pretty cool. So if you want to jazz your look up, you can do that. In addition, uh, y'all see me with some of the feather pocket squares. My sister who's a designer, she actually makes these. They're all custom made. So when you also go to the website, you can also order one of the customized uh, feather pocket squares uh, right there at rollingsmartin.com forward slash pocket squares. So please do so. And of course, uh, that goes to support the show. And again, if you're a Bring the Funk fan club member, you get a discount. This is why you should join the fan club. All right, folks. Uh, first of all, great conversation there with the folks at Curl Mix. Uh, certainly made uh, a heck of a lot of sense right there. Uh, final comments here with our panel. We were going to talk about the, uh, the the proposal put forth by uh, Senator Kamala Harris, but I got to ask y'all about this here. Uh, today, Virginia Lieutenant Governor Justin Fairfax uh, is calling on the district attorney to investigate the claims by a woman named Meredith Watson, who says Fairfax raped her in a frat house when they were in college. Now, he has repeatedly denied the claim and the claims of a sexual assault from another woman named Vanessa Tyson. He says both were consensual. Now, he sent out a series of tweets today. 
He said, quote, to publicly accuse someone of a crime and then not want an investigation shows that the people involved are engaging in a political hit job. Gail King and Nancy Erica Smith have known since at least July 9th, 2019, that Meredith Watson fabricated her allegation of rape and sexual assault at Duke University in 2000. And eyewitness Damian Blue was there and, and has told many people, including a CBS attorney, she lied. Gail King, CBS This Morning, and CBS News have never done a follow-up story on these false allegations in over a year because they know they aired vicious lies to millions of people. Now, he sent out several other uh, tweets, but to name, this is the first time that name has come out. And the Washington Post did a story where, they, where Fairfax supplied them his phone records where he showed calls. The moment these allegations dropped, a series of calls back and forth to Damian Blue. Um, Reese, I'm going to first start with you. Um, what do you make of Fairfax putting this out there and the fact that Meredith Watson or attorney, they've never said, in fact, he's challenged them to comment on this and they've never even said yay or nay whether another person was present. Well, I mean, I think that um, there's a big difference between calling for a criminal investigation, which is, I, I believe what you said, he's referring this to a district attorney. Well, yeah, no, 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 so here's the deal. The, the attorneys for both women, they they mm -hmm. they have said they'll testify in an impeachment hearing. The yeah. the DA yeah. the DAs in both cities and they are both black mm -hmm. women where these mm -hmm. alleged incidents took place, both have said if a complaint is filed, they will investigate Watson right. and um uh Watson and uh, uh the, the other woman I can't, I'm sorry, uh, Vanessa Tyson. Neither of them have actually filed the complaint. So he's right. saying, wait a minute, if you got two black female DAs who mm -hmm. say that they will investigate, why won't you file a complaint, but you'll testify openly in an impeachment hearing? Go ahead. Well, I, I you know, I, I personally will not impugn these women for not filing a criminal complaint, which the burden of proof is much higher. It's going to be, you know, when, the, when these investigations happen, oh, it's an ongoing investigation. It's not a transparent thing. So I want to impugn them because, you know, Justin Fairfax doesn't want to be impugned for not wanting to submit to an impeachment hearing or any kind of hearings. As far as I know, I could be wrong. You can correct me on that. So I think that moving it into a criminal matter where it's much harder to prove, it's at this point, I, I hate to put it as a he say, she say, um, this person that he presents as an, as a, as a, um, as a witness is one person who would testify, and I'm sure these women would testify to the people that they told about contemporaneously about these experiences as they alleged have occurred. So I, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't look at it as anything sinister because a lot of women don't want to go through the trauma of a, of a rape complaint, of a criminal complaint, and Justin Fairfax, to my knowledge, doesn't want to go through. Um, uh, any kind of impeachment hearings or ethics hearings that would be public and transparent. But here's the question, Brooke. Here's the question. You have allegations being made. You have innocent until proven guilty. And then you have a situation here where he says, this, is, this wasn't a case where he says, this is somebody who I told afterwards. He says this person was actually there. Now, the question now is, if you're Watson or her attorney, do you address this or not? Well, it looks like, I mean, not is what they're going with. But I, I do want to double back on what Risa just said. I'm, I'm with that. We have to stop using 
the idea that a woman with an allegation not wanting to go through the process of filing an actual an allegation in criminal court, knowing what happens to a lot of actual victims of sexual assault and rape, when they file reports, it's no surprise that not all women want to go through that process. So that's got to stop being used as an excuse as to why they must be lying. And it, and it almost seems like that's what's being Im implied in um, his kind of, like, you know, push to them to do that. And, like, I, I can't say what happened. I wasn't there. But I guess I don't... It seems like neither of them want to go through with the process that the other one is comfortable with. But it's not owed to him outside of, you know, what our criminal courtrooms say, that it has to be handled his way. Right. Well, and so, so, Greg, so, but, but so here's what we're dealing with here. On, on their end, their attorneys have said they will participate in an impeachment hearing. He's saying, wait a minute. If you're willing to openly testify in an impeachment hearing, why not file a complaint where DAs actually, because they are still, the statute of limitations hasn't expired. So, you, well, the, so the DAs can actually uh, still pursue it. You, even you look at the case, in the case of Bill Cosby, there was no physical evidence in the case of Bill Cosby. Cosby was convicted based upon testimony. Yeah, black people in this country have consistently demonstrated, uh, at least in the modern era, a collective immaturity when it comes to discussing these kind of issues. Um, I'm thinking about Ida Wells writing in the 1890s, in 1900 and 1910, a red record, mob rule in New Orleans, lynch law in all its phases. And Ida Wells talks about the electric mix of violence that comes around allegations of rape, and that it was the rape of white women, in fact, that animated much of the racial terrorism loosed against black women and men in the South during the time that she pioneered, really, anti-lynching movement. Fast forward to now. I think it's pretty clear that Justin Fairfax uh, was the victim of a political hit job by Ralph Northern and his lieutenants, separate of any whatever happened in, you know, as I said, Massachusetts and, and, and in North Carolina, not uh, respectively. And so that's one set of issues. It's a political issue. Justin Fairfax is fighting for his political life because there is no court uh, that is um, equitable in the court of public opinion. That's why uh, when you tag Gail King and CBS and all these other folks, you are calling them out because they are not fact fires. They are not They are not uh, triers of fact. They are public figures who are masquerading as news uh, anchors and, and, and news corporations. So if they are indeed about the truth, then he's offering them to continue to pursue this story. Now, that's one set of... Uh, that's two sets. Now you've got public figures. Now let's get to the point. I agree wholeheartedly with my, you know, my fellow panelists. Uh, no person certainly no woman, certainly no black woman, should be accused of lying if uh, she or he or whoever, they are reticent to testify in public about a case of violence, sex, particularly sexual violence. That having been said, for the accusants to say that they are willing to subject themselves to that type of scrutiny and public scrutiny uh, for the purposes of a uh, an impeachment trial seems to me to indicate that there may be other motives other than finding the truth. Because 
there will be no diminished level of scrutiny in a public impeachment trial than there would be in a criminal or civil uh, account. So finally, I'll just say this. Uh, you know, when you live in a country where race is always at the center of everything, including how gender is lived and class is lived, then you got to ask yourself a question. What do you do in a situation where you have, as far as we're concerned in our journey in this, in this place, as perfect a, a set of conditions for finding the truth as possible? You've got two black women in charge of the fact-finding inquiry who have said, we are here. And if the answer to that is there is no perfect truth, then I would have to say in the case of Justin Fairfax, he should continue to demand that the truth come out. And those of us who are a little bit more mature about trying to think our way through this should be able to listen to that. Any, uh, Robin, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, um, I'm not passing judgment on whether or not these allegations are true. I don't have enough information to that to know whether that's the truth or not. But what I will say in defense of rape victims, rape victims get to allow what, what get are allowed to determine what restorative justice looks like for them. For some rape victims, restorative justice is not a criminal complaint. Certainly would not be a criminal acquittal. So I do not pass judgment on these women if for them, if their allegations are true and what their restorative justice looks like is a public hearing, is a transparent hearing, then I do not pass judgment on them. So I here's that sorry. Go, go ahead. No, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. No, no, no. So so that so that's just my whole point. I don't think that it's appropriate to 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 dictate to a rape victim what their restorative justice looks like. I don't think it's appropriate to dictate that they receive justice strictly through the criminal justice system. So is it, so I ask this question then to all three of you, is it appropriate for them to dictate to him? I because, because what, because what, because what they've said is we, what they've said is we will only participate in an impeachment inquiry. Right. It is appropriate for them to dictate what, how they want to handle this. Absolutely. Nothing has happened to him. Besides what is being said, he has the right to defend himself. And none of us can be can sit here and say who's telling the truth or who's lying. But I do know that nothing in that tweet is proof that these women are lying. So, so, but no, but so here's the question. So, so I don't know what we're... So, so here's the question. First of all, you say nothing has happened to him. Yeah, he's, he's still lieutenant governor. Um, he, he has lost... the two he, outcomes he, of the two... No, 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 that's what I'm saying. I'm, that both of them are arguing about. Yeah. No, no, that's what I'm saying. I'm walking through. He's, he, has, he has... First of all, there has been no outcome. Because there's been no impeachment hearing and there's been no criminal investigation. So all right. you have right now are allegations made by these two women, denials by him. They're saying, we want a hearing to be able to, uh, we want a hearing to take place for us to be able to air our grievances. They're saying we will participate in an impeachment inquiry. He's saying, wait a minute, if you say this happened, and you have, two, you got two DAs who said we will investigate, file a complaint, and he said I got no problem participating in criminal in criminal inquiry. Now, so so we step back and say, okay, two complaints by them, complaint by him. So then the question is, do, do they get the benefit of the doubt? Does he get the benefit of the doubt, or is it just them? Well, at the end of the day, it's like you said, Roland, it's innocent until proven guilty. Unfortunately, 
for both parties. There will be no final judgment on it, whether it's the, the, pub, the, the, uh, the jury of public opinion, in which these women haven't fared that much better than Justin Fairfax, and they don't have the benefit of being an elected official in the state of Virginia. They have been, you know, dragged through the mud. Um, he's been dragged through the mud as well. And so, at the end of the day, it's going to just be an impasse. To me, it seems like he's picking the story back up. I don't know if there's something else that precipitated his um, tweet or this story, but... Oh, no, no, know, no, the no, the, no. The reason, his whole deal is, first of all, here's a piece. There are people who are announcing their... This is, first of all, understand. There are people who are announcing they want to run for governor. In Virginia, the governor can only serve for one term. The moment mm -hmm. he was elected lieutenant governor, he right. was the prohibitive favorite That's right. to run for governor. Right. So mm -hmm. his deal is, wait a minute. I, and here's a piece. I, I've said it before. Do I know Justin? Yeah. Is he in Alpha? Yes. Is he in the Boule? Yes. He, I've actually had him on the show. What he said was his deal is, wait a minute. What am I supposed to do if I've been accused and I right. say it's not true? How do I defend myself? And I think this is where it, 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 the same thing is playing out right now when it comes to the allegations against Joe Biden. Right. So the New York Times did a big deal where they're like, well, this is why we took so long investigating the allegations against Biden compared to the allegations against Brett Kavanaugh. What happened here was, uh, in the case of Vanessa Tyson, she went to the Washington Post. The Washington Post interviewed her, went through the whole deal, and then decided not to do a story. A year goes by. When the Northern uh, blackface uh, photo comes out, that weekend, it was as if by that Monday, Northern was going to resign. That Sunday right. night, Tyson posts a comment to a friend, and the friend leaks the comment, and that's how her allegation became public. Right. And, and so that's what happened there. And so what you have here is you have a conundrum where you have two women who say this happened. He says it was consensual. It did not happen. He now comes in and says, wait a minute. I know that was a person who was in the room. And he's saying, why, why did Watson never bring that person up? Why did her attorney never bring that person up? So the question then becomes, how do you even have it investigated if all they want is an impeachment hearing and he's saying, wait a minute, you can actually still file a criminal complaint that's within the statute of limitations where they can actually investigate him and potentially file charges. Again, yeah, I though, the cannot, was actually going to resign. Definitely not when... Hold on, hold on. So, Brooke first, Reese, then Greg. Book, Brooke... I, shockingly, I never got the vibe that Northam was going to resign. Definitely not when it looked like he was. Oh, it was close. Show oh, it, off the was, moonwalk during the no, press conference. No, no, it was. But very, I also think that it was close. I get what you're saying, but what we have right now is two people who are telling different versions of a story. There's an allegation of well, three people, but there were the women on one side. There was allegations that were made. He's saying they're not true. Both of them want to handle this in different ways. None of that is proof of either person's story. And I'm right. not gonna, I, I can't sit here and say that, like, I, like pretend as if, like, the world is just unfair to men when it comes to rape allegations. No, no, and no, no. no. He, I, the I'm way not... he wants it to be handled, is it's not happening that way. What did I know? Actually, the way... The way the way all three want to handle it is not happening. Right. Exactly. Reese, go ahead. Yeah, but again, I have to just bring it back to the point that a criminal um, investigation has a higher standard of proof, a higher right. burden of proof. 
it's far more likely to result in no charges being brought whatsoever. And so he, in that case, would he get to say, I've been exonerated? Of course, I mean, that's, that's the first thing that he's going to say. Well, how, how, how about this here? So, okay, how about this here? So what if that was an impeachment hearing and he doesn't get impeached? Does he still say, he I get exonerated? The same as the, he, he could just as easily say he's exonerated in that instance as well. But again, it's, it's like I said, it's, it's a matter of restorative justice. I don't think that any person gets to demand what restorative justice looks like for a woman. I don't think that a woman not wanting to subject herself to a criminal complaint that's likely to end in no charges whatsoever is, is somehow lying or is sinister. It's an impasse. So, how about, so, so let me ask you this, Reese. He has he has this stain on his on his you know reputation. If he's not innocent, then he doesn't you know suffer any kind of criminal charges or anything like that. But you know it it, it damages his political career. You do have to wonder about the timing with the whole blackface scandal. But at the end of the day, I I'm not going to politicize two rape victims. Well, no, but 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 here's the problem though. Here's the deal though. It is, it is politicized, because here's the piece. You get Republicans who were saying, yeah, we're open for an impeachment inquiry, mm -hmm. want to take out, obviously, a Democrat lieutenant governor. When we say no person gets to decide what restorative justice is, okay, so the issue that you're now dealing with, though, is that... So, so let's just say... Let's say Justin Fairfax wasn't lieutenant governor, and there was no access to an impeachment inquiry. Well, then, what other process do you have other than a criminal? You could say, well, that's, that's, that's a civil one. Quiet, huh? Maybe the, the women would have kept quiet at that point. I think what at, happens... Hold on, at, at what point? Has, at what point? If, if, if he, he wasn't, wasn't lieutenant governor, team. maybe... The, I mean, there's other reasons why women don't come forward. Other right, than, right. Like, the idea that... So, like, you can look at it two ways. You can look at it like, possibly these women were like, absolutely not. He cannot govern a state. Absolutely not. That crosses the line. I have to say something. I'm willing to put my story out there and all of my personal business out there because this is just too far. Or you can say, oh, it's a political hit job because his opponents don't want him to be governor. I, it just seems like um, it's weighing real heavy on the second one, and I, I that's that's not a job. Well, well, it's not. Here's, but... the deal, here's the deal, Greg. What is before us, again, and, and this is where I think if you're a man or you're a woman... And you're looking at this, the question then comes out. What's fair and just? And do you even arrive at a point where you reach a conclusion? If you're, if you, if you're these two women, and they say, we want justice, but we only want to do it this way, got it. Fairfax over here is saying, wait a minute, I ain't do this. So what's justice for him? Does he get the benefit of the doubt? And that's really sort of where this thing now sits, which is why I think, unlike other people, they would just be just not even bringing it up. His whole deal is like, no, I'm going to keep talking about this. And actually, that actually was the headline thing in the Washington Post, why Justin Fairfax continues to talk about this. Yeah, no question. I mean, clearly he's talking about Hold it. Hold on, because... Greg and Reese. Greg, go ahead. Clearly he's talking about it because, among other things, his political future is at stake. Um... Let's be very clear. Black people don't get the benefit of the doubt. There is no, I mean, I think I learned that probably my first week of law school. There is no such thing as innocent until proven guilty. You've got a serial sexual abuser, self-celebrating sexual abuser, who's the president of the United States. And those hillbillies in the uh, legislature in Richmond 
have no investment in the women or men involved in this. And whether it be the rape of Reese Taylor in Alabama, whether it be Joanne Little killing her uh, captor and then being persecuted uh, during the 1960s or 70s, whether it be uh, you read the book The Dark End of the Street, Rosa Parks, her initial forays into politics were taking the testimony of rape victims in Alabama. These are black women. You know, you don't accuse white people of anything. And in this set of circumstances, there is black people on black people crime. And so when you start talking about uh, the idea of innocence until proven guilty, it's a myth. And when we disaggregate a story like this and normalize gender as if somehow it operates outside of the field of race, we are left with the idea that these black women will be treated like white women. There is no common standard. So, yes, I think we should believe people. We should believe women. And yes, I think Justin Fairfax should continue to pursue the strategy that will unearth what he sees to be the truth. And as we say, there are conflicting stories, but I guess my final, finally, my question is this. If you're in, as I said before, if you are in a system where we know that it is a human system and it's not perfect and it's not math and there's no innocent until proven guilty, what are the best possible circumstances for trying to discover the truth if we assume that if the notion of woman, the social construct of woman, somehow converges with biology, then you've got a woman who is in charge of investigation in one state and a woman who's in charge of investigation in the other state who have said, we will pursue this. Would we then say that they might have a level of uh, sensitivity to the concerns of other black women who would might, might be reticent in a criminal process? I don't have an answer. I'm just saying we should think a little bit more systematically about this nature of this and take away this idea that any of these things operate in this ideal world. We're living in a world, and that world is a human world. And race in this society is the centerpiece of how we should be examining any of this. Final comments before I go to Gerald Albright. Reese, go ahead. My final comment is that I agree with you, Dr. Carter. Race does play an issue on it, the fact that these are two black women who have accused Lieutenant Governor um, Justin Fairfax of it is why he is able to, um, you know, not have been subjected to more rigorous investigation um, in, 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 in uh, Virginia in terms of a political investigation. It is why it's so easy to be dismissive of these women. It's why it's so... And I'm not saying that that's what you, you gentlemen are doing, but I'm saying in general, black women as rape victims are not valued as much. Look at how many women had to be subjected to R. Kelly before anything was done. It took dozens of people to come forward. And so, and I'm not putting Justin Fairfax on that level, but yes, when we talk about race, we cannot just talk about the persecution of black men. We also have to talk about the dismissal and the, 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 the violence that black women are subjected to. And so we do not know what happened. And we might not get to an understanding of what happened in a transparent or public way, whether it's criminal uh, investigation or a political investigation. But I, that's just the circumstances that we find ourselves well, in. Well, actually, it's, I think the reason you have not seen a political investigation in Virginia, first of all, let's fully explain that. One, uh, what happened was, uh, in Virginia, you have the governor, lieutenant governor, and then the attorney general. What happened mm -hmm. was the allegation, the, the uh, blackface comes out, it hits northern. 
then right. and then when it looked as if uh, 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 Fairfax was going to ascend to the governor's mansion, what happened after that? The blackface picture came out of the attorney general. And so right. here you had two white men, blackface, blackface, in between a black man accused of sexual assault. And then, then you had Republicans who were saying, well, let's go after impeachment hearings for Fairfax. The people say, oh, hold up. So y'all Republicans ain't going to say jack by the two white men, but then you're going to target the black man. So in that case, it, it, I, I don't, it's not they weren't listening to two black women. What you had are the dynamics of Republicans, uh, and now the Democrats, after the last election, controlled both state houses. You had the, that political dynamic that was going on. And then it was like, oh, so y'all gonna take the brother out, but you're gonna ignore the two white men who bracket him. All of that, and then what Greg is saying, then it was like, oh, wait a minute, it was a black female DA in Boston, it's a black female DA uh, in, in Raleigh, well, where Duke is. And so you're right, you got a black man, two black women, two black DAs, uh, and all of this mixed in. Go ahead, uh, final comment, Brooke. And I, I totally understand what you're saying, and I get what you're saying, but I just, we can't dismiss these women's stories. No, 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 I'm not dismissing, I'm just laying out facts. Go but, ahead. But, no, but that, it's like what people do when um, they bring up Weinstein as, as, in defense of, like, R. Kelly. Just because there were two very clearly people who did something wrong doesn't mean that this story doesn't matter, too. It has nothing to do with each other for me. Oh, no, no, and, no. It, it, it matters. Um, what I'm saying is what happened in Virginia. So when Reese said that the political issue there, the dynamics were I was walking people through exactly what happened, and it was like, Northam, then it was like Fairfax, then the AG came in. And so now people in Virginia were like, okay, so do we go after Fairfax and ignore Northam and Mark, I forgot his last name, the AG? Do we go after? All of that was, it was, it was happening all at the same time. That's what happened there. Go ahead. Yeah, but none of the facts that we have that we've all thrown up, because we've all acknowledged that we don't know exactly what happened. But all of the facts that we've thrown out, all of the different processes and the timelines, none of that means that these two women are not telling the truth. Right. So no, no. That, all, we haven't thrown out... Right, right. But what, what is happening... Yeah. Right. I'm simply... First of all, for people who don't even understand exactly what happened. So this is all things that have happened. We're still at the point here of, okay, how do you move forward? There are people right. who are saying Fairfax should not run for governor. There are people who are saying, wait a minute, he hasn't been convicted. There's been there's been nothing. Why shouldn't he run? Then you have people who are saying, well, they should be believed. Others who are saying he should believe. And what you're dealing with here, again, is a situation where you have allegations, a denial, and you really have no path to even have any sort of conclusion, if you will. That's the conundrum all of this is in. Now that he throws out which we're already doing the story. Now that he throws out that there was another person present, now the question comes in, okay, does Meredith Watson and her attorney respond to that? Was somebody else there? Yes or no? That's what we'll have to see. Finish, Brooke, and then I, I gotta go to Gerald. No, no, I was, and I respect that. It's just they don't have to. And that doesn't mean anything. It doesn't give us a new set of facts on which person is telling the truth. Right, but no, for the no, yeah. to have like a story like this, and and there's there is nothing. But yeah, it's not going the way that he would like it. It looks like they're saying life hasn't gone the way they would like it. And if he wants to run for governor, he will run for governor. And the people on the side that are saying he should still run for governor, they'll vote for him. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's it's, so, and, it's and this is the, really this nothing, is the deal. Yeah. No one is. That's what I'm saying. You do not have a process. Well, you do have a process, but 
They want it one way. He said there's another way. So the question is, what happens? And we'll see what now happens, if there's any response from Meredith Watson or her attorney after the rash of tweets uh, took place today. Just really quick, one more thing. Uh, also, because the way this is being discussed as far as, like, an a criminal investigation does not have to be initiated by the alleged victim. So it it doesn't. I, I guess that's part of this as well. It does yeah. not have to be initiated. They don't have to go and say he's saying go to them and then get this initiated. They'll do it. They could be investigating this. Good point. So that's well. That's up to those DAs. It, it has nothing to do with huh? the victim. And exactly. That's up to so those. That's part that, of it too. That's that's up to those. That's up to those DAs. They right. might actually, as black women, they might be being sensitive to those black women. And the thing that always bothers me is. You know, rape is not a woman's issue if our community understands that every woman's got a father, brothers, uh, friends. I mean, the same way that every man has. I mean, we think about this thing as if these are individual, these constructs are not living people. And it may very well be that these two women who are district attorneys are saying, we're not going to put those sisters through that. That's a very good point, though. They, they don't have to. Yeah, they don't have to have their permission. Yeah. So where are the DAs? Good question. They can investigate. And so far, they have it. So we'll actually see what happened next. Brooke, yeah. Reese, Greg, I certainly appreciate it. Thanks a bunch. Folks, we told you. Thanks for uh, having me. Thanks a lot. Gerald Albright was going to be raising money for Musician Reliefs Fund. Uh, he is actually uh, live streaming that as we speak. Uh, there were some issues. We were supposed to go to it at 745, but there were some issues. They had to shut the live stream down and came back. So let's go to it right now. Rest in peace, rest in heaven, Bill. God bless his family, sending condolences to them. All right, y'all, we're gonna keep it moving. Let's see. So this song has been with me for a number of years. Uh, a little quick story, I was in Nairobi, Kenya, some years ago. And I'll paint the picture for you. I was in my hotel room. It was about 6, 6.30 a.m. And I just woke up off the pillow, like I always do, thank God. <laughs> and I was singing this song. I couldn't get this song out of my head. 
and I'm like, wow, why am I singing this song? You know, and it was interesting because being a jazz guy, I'm no, normally listening to all the jazz greats, you know, George Duke, Herbie, Stanley Clark, all the, the wonderful jazz greats. But this song came out of the pop world, and um, it came from a wonderful group called the Carpenters. And I'm a big fan of the Carpenters, but I just don't wake up, especially at 6 a.m., singing Carpenter songs, you know. So, but it felt good, and I'm now walking around the room, and I'm singing this song, and it feels so good, and I promised, made a promise to myself that when I got back to the States, I would um, go in the studio and record an instrumental version of this song. So we did. And uh, I know you know this song. I'm sure it's been with you for decades, as it's been with me. Uh, it's a song called Close to You. And uh, you remember the sweet version that the Carpenters did, nice and light and airy. Well, we decided to, you know, I'm that contemporary jazz R&B guy. I had to mix some funk in there. So our version sounds a little bit different. Uh, but we hope you enjoy our version of Close to You. Check it out. Close to you. 
All right, y'all, close to you. Little bit different version than the original, right? And I got to say that those background vocals were shared by myself and my lovely daughter, Selena Albright, and uh, she and her great husband, Josh Morey, brought us a wonderful grandson, Gavin Eli, about three weeks ago. So out of all the bad news in 2020, uh, the Creator will bless you with some good news. We're, uh, me and my wife, Glennis, are grandparents for the first time. So you know this kid is going to be spoiled rotten. Selena and Josh, it's coming. <laughs> um, but we're just so happy and elated. Um, all right. Uh, just another memo, another commercial. Uh, one of the main reasons why we're doing this broadcast is because uh, we want to uh, acquire donations for musicians around the world uh, who are in dire need of some funding. You know, the, they're having glitches with the stimulus packages, and then you have over 22 million people filing for unemployment. And, you know, the, syst the system's crippled now, so we have to find creative ways and more direct ways to get funding to people who really, really need it. That's what we're all about. And um, music always seems to be both in good situations and bad situations, the anchor, you know, the foundation to make people feel better. And so that's why we're here. We're messengers of the music. And uh, I speak on behalf of all my colleagues who are doing the same thing. I've been on the internet pretty fluently watching um, other musicians do live broadcasts. I just saw uh, the great Marcus Anderson earlier today. He had a great show. Uh, you know, just a lot of folks that are just reinventing the wheel right now. So I'm on that mission too, all right? So we want you to donate, once again, at Cash App. Uh, we don't have PayPal, just the only option today is Cash App. If you don't have the, uh, the app, just quickly download it. It's easy to set up. And um, all over the world, we want you to donate because this is truly a worthy cause. Uh, my username is Gerald A.A. G-E-R-A-L-D-A-A, -A, with the dollar sign in front. And if you forget that, once you get your cash app set up, just put in my name, Gerald Albright, and then my uh, icon will come up, and you'll see you know, the, the true Gerald Albright um, account there, okay? So thank you in advance for your donations. Um, we appreciate you. We know that our wonderful nation always comes through when it's time. And uh, it's, it's the people of the world who are going to solve this problem, you know. Uh, the leadership, good or bad, the people have to come together and make this happen. So let's do all of our social distancing. Let's, let's wear our masks. Let's do everything that they're telling us to do. Let's stay indoors if we can. I know that's hard. It's even hard for me. I'm a golfer, so, you know, I'm pouting over here. Uh, I need to play some golf, so. But uh, it's all good. All right. No more of the commercial. We're going to go back to the music. Um, most people who have come to my shows know that I'm a huge James Brown fan, big James Brown fan. I was that little guy at seven or eight years old on a hardwood floor with a broomstick trying to do the mashed potatoes and the James Brown. Uh, you won't see any of that on this live stream, but uh, <laughs> that's how it was back in the day. But um, uh, James is a big part of my production, my songwriting, my approach to music because James brought funk like nobody else. Uh, but we're going to do a flip, of, of, we're going to do a 180 actually, 
it's not going to be a funky song. It's going to be one of his famous ballads. And uh, I recorded it some years ago, and I pretty much do it in all of my shows. Um, this is called It's a Man's 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 World. We hope you enjoy our rendition. Check it out.
Yes, indeed. Man's world. All right, y'all. I need about a 10-second ten, ten pause here. Saxophone players know this. Every now and then, you will have a pad that sticks and won't open properly when it's time. So, let me just fix this real quick because we want everything to be on the money for you. All right. Hopefully that fixes it. <laughs> All right, y'all. Are you having a good time? I know I am. Um, you having a great time too? All right. My wife's having a good time, so happy wife, happy life. You know what I'm saying? Um, yes, Lord. Okay, so, yes, um, we live in Colorado now. We've been here since 2005, so we're celebrating 15-plus years of being here. We love Colorado. I'm originally from Los Angeles, but in uh, 2005, we decided that we needed a life change, you know, just kind of slow the roll a little bit. And uh, so we moved, and uh, out of that move came a wonderful project called New Beginnings. And uh, it's a tune that I had the pleasure of writing and producing. And um, so we'd like to do that for you right now. This happens to be the title track, New Beginnings. Uh, this is the current version of it, which shows up on my 30 project, which uh, I'm celebrating 30 years. Actually, it's probably 33, 34 years now of... Uh, being in the uh, music business as a recording artist. It came out a couple of few years ago. Uh, pick that up, by the way. You can find it up on Amazon or iTunes or uh, we'll ship it to you directly. We can make it happen, Captain. So, um, so this is New Beginnings. We hope you enjoy our version of the current version of New Beginnings. Check it out.
I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. See new things. Try new things. Go back centuries while living in the moment. Forge new paths while discovering old ones. Pedal, paddle, and paint while trekking, tasting, and tailoring experiences that transform you into a better version of yourself. Immerse yourself in the world by activating your mind, your heart, and your body on a river cruise exclusively from Avalon Waterways. Save with limited time offers at avalonwaterways.com. Avalon is cruising. Elevated. This is Amy Brown from Four Things with Amy Brown. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between offering quality care and support virtually in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways that Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthier happens together. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home.